I'm going to jump right in. And uh, a couple weeks ago, as you, uh, you might remember, as we, we uh, started to look and we kind of started to, our dive into uh, God's call for us to gather, grow, and go. And um, initially, uh, two Sundays ago, we were reminded that God, God's call to gather has biblical historical roots. Right? If anything, this idea of gathering, last week we looked about the fact that it has its biblical roots. It's a biblical thing to, ha- to gather. It has biblical historical roots. And it's really important for us to keep that in mind. And especially when we think about God's chosen people that He had gathered together to be His gathered ones, assembled ones, at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, where there is language and the Hebrew word, there's a connection to the word that we have in the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia, which we often refer to the church, the called out ones who assemble before God, the called out ones, God's people. And again, the church of Christ, the church of Christ, God's people are those people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and are set apart from the world for the worship of the one true God and obey His revealed will. Part of that revealed will is found in Hebrews 10.25, and we mentioned that, that we would not forsake the assembling, the congregating, the gathering with those that God has called who are His. That has biblical historical roots, and the church has ever since it was born on the day of Pentecost has been gathering regularly in obedience to God's will and design And when the church gathers, two weeks ago we looked at this, it makes itself visible to itself. Physically, I can see who the church is. My brother Wes, my sister Muffy, we are part of the same family. And we're looking around and we can see who makes up the church, the body of Christ. And not only that... But the visibility of the church is also manifest or made known to the universe, to the world, to everyone. And we looked at that. If you want to hear that, look at the sermon two weeks ago. But it's an incredible thing that God does so that we are a visible, a physical representation. Actually, His hands, feet, and mouth here on this earth because His Spirit lives in us. And so God If you will, He fills us, He resides in us, and here we go throughout this world. And we are the church of Christ. And thank God that Jesus is the head. We're His body, right? The church. And we take His orders. God, help us to do that more and more. And when we have a strong, when we have a strong biblical view of gathering as God's people, it reminds us that God delights to pour out His presence among His people. Oh, we enjoy it individually. And we enjoy His presence who's in us. But when we get together and we ask and we invite, it's not like the Holy Spirit isn't already in us like we sing. we have to invite Him. We do. It's an invitation. It's our submission to Him. It's our calling out to Him saying, please come. I know you're in us. But when we're all together, fill us, take over, have control. We surrender to You. We want You to have control, Lord God, in our midst. Help us to hear You and to know You that much more. When we, have that, when we have that view, it, it's powerful. And this biblical foundation of gathering and God's will to gather historically by, by God's people obeying Him has helped us to understand why we gather. It's God's plan and design. Plain and simple. And it's biblical that we should gather as His people. And it's important that we do that. 
So we have biblical foundations for that. And this morning, we'll look at at the, the idea of gathering and how there are some benefits. What are the benefits to gathering? We saw the biblical foundation and reasons, but now we look at the benefits. And then in two weeks, we'll look at the beauty of gathering. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that already. But anyway, there's, there, is, there are powerful benefits. This morning, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses uh, 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. And I'm there. There I am. I found it. Now, when we turn there, let's read this, these verses, these, uh, in uh, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, to discover the benefits of gathering. Now, by the way, we could do studies for weeks upon weeks, and I do not exaggerate, about the benefits of gathering as God's people. It's absolutely powerful, and the list is so long. But let's just take this uh, this morning and focus on this text. The, the, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, Two are better than one. I'm going to stop for a second, and let's all say it together. Two are better than one. I didn't hear everybody. Two are better than one. It's better. All right? Because they have a good return for their labor. Verse 10. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And that phrase we'll use as a, a, a segue into, in two weeks into the beauty of, of gathering as well. And in our text, Solomon makes this very simple, clear, and direct statement. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Now, unfortunately... And not to be negative or downer, because we're not going to spend time there. There are times when we, when one is hurt, betrayed, or forsaken by another. We've all experienced that, and it's not fun. But, I want you to notice something. Solomon does not address, or even acknowledge, these obvious contradictions to his stated principle that two are better than one. He simply declares the point and allows it to stand on its own because God's word can do that. Stand on its own. Two are better than one. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And listen, True faith, because of the biblical foundations, true faith is always lived out in community with other believers. Always. Scripture does not teach the power of one. Like individualism. Does not teach that. It teaches that two are better than one. By gathering, we develop relationships with those who lighten the workload they pick us up when we fall. They keep us 
warm when we're cold. And they help us to fight during the attacks of life. Listen, work, falls, cold, and attacks. These things are inevitable in life. They are a part of life. They're built into life. And see, God's vision for His church is that we would gather to know Him and to know each other so that we can always reinforce and live and apply to our lives and live in the benefit and beauty of the principle and the truth that two are better than one. First, notice that Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one when you are at work. When you're working, when you're laboring. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 10 reads this way. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. The point of this verse is that it is better to work smarter than harder. See, you can fill it in already. We know these things, and yet sometimes we don't operate that way. I'm guilty of of that myself. And our text gives us a simple way to work smarter. Don't work alone. Don't work alone. Verse 9 says, two are better than one. Have you heard that today already? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And the word toil or labor speaks of this hard work and diligent labor. And you're at it and there's sweat and you're working and you're straining. And this is not a picture of a person sitting in a cubicle, goofing off, wasting time, doing nothing, playing video games on the side on the company's time. That's not what this is a picture of. In fact, it's even more if we go back into that that time period and in that cultural historical context. It's a term that describes an agricultural worker in the field. He works hard or she works hard knowing that if you don't work hard and there's blood, sweat, and tears and there's, there's, there's fatigue and there's strain and there's pain in your muscles and in your back and in wherever else in your body, there will be no harvest. No work, no reaping. And the assumption of the text is that a meaningful life, in light of all of Ecclesiastes, is hard work. But the affirmation of the text is that you can accomplish more when you work together with others. When you see that someone has accomplished something significant in life, know that they did not get there by themselves. For starters, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. And then just keep thinking and build on that. They had some help. And Solomon declares that two are better than one when you go to work. The load is lightened because we all know that many hands make work annoying. You are paying attention, right? Many hands make light work. Right? They make the work light. And more is accomplished, usually. It is. Much more. I'm just thinking of the project, digging that trench for the cable. Oh, When there's multiple hands involved and a little tractor, it really makes it a lot easier. All of us trying to dig through that rocks and everything. But when you have more, it makes it that much easier. It does. It lightens the load. Now, there's an interesting thing. 
In Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, that caught my attention. If you're familiar with what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, it addresses this group of people after the flood. And they got it in their heads. Hey, if we get together, if we gather and we link arms, we could be something great. We're going to build the world's first skyscraper. We're going to go to heaven and we're going to show how glorious we are. We're awesome. We're going to go into the clouds as high as we can go. And we're going to get our heads together and do it. We're going to build something magnificent and show God just how awesome we are. And listen, they did that after God commanded them to spread out and replenish the earth. But in pride and rebellion and in sinful unbelief, they decided to band together and build a tower that reaches into the heavens, right? And the Lord, the Bible says, you can look at it yourself, I am not making this up, and the Lord came down personally, and He put an end to it. He confused our language, and I think He might have done other things we don't know, and I'm just imagining. Right? You know why? Because all glory belongs only to God. Not you, not me. When we assemble, that glory isn't about how great we are. That's the problem with humanism. That's the problem with the secular view that says it elevates man and, and, and all these movements and clubs, and I won't name names, but they're trying to elevate and saying, we in our intellect, in our ability, we can make life so much better for man. We don't need God. That's a really, really basic summation. God says, the glory is mine, man. Who do you think you are? You're trying to elevate yourself and humanity and all your ingenuity, innovation and wisdom. It all comes from me in the first place. And so they, they start doing this. And the Lord came down. He personally put an end to it. And you know what he said? Do you know what the Bible says? This stuck out to me and jumped out at me like a two-by-four almost hitting me. He declared... God declared with these people full of pride wanting to elevate themselves and build the skyscraper, he declared that nothing, this is what he said, that nothing would be impossible to these people because they worked together. Can I just ask a question? How much more would that be true if God's people did that? That's convicting. We've got 2,000 years of history after the church was founded. And you look in our world today, and I'm not being critical and negative, but think it should be a tidal wave, a tsunami of God's glory and kingdom just being established. I mean, should be. I'm not God. I don't know. He knows who's his and who's going to be. I understand all that. But we should be a force. And it's, you know why we're not? And you know why it's, we don't, I mean, honestly, we don't see more? Because we're not together. We don't gather and have this one purpose and same purpose. And there are these multi-purposes that are happening in one group here and there. And even within our own body, if you will. That we all have this hidden agenda in our own hearts. And God says, oh man, you got to get together. you got to be one because you can accomplish so much. And he says this even though he stopped their plan. But the account reminds us that even the wrong plan can accomplish much when people work together. I don't need to remind you, and tragically, uh, historically, of the events that have occurred where certain people groups and, and, and leaders have banded together and they have done horrible injustices and destruction and, and, and just wiping people off the face of this earth. And it still goes on because they band together with the wrong plan and they think they could do something good. And again, how much more is that so when the church gets to the, together to do the will and the work of God? 
Two are better than one when you go to work, for you get a greater reward for your labor. When you do it alone, it gets tough. But when we do it together and we spread the gospel, we all take our roles and places and we're advancing the gospel, we're glorifying God, we're worshiping God. It's an incredible thing. We become a force to be reckoned with, just like the church in the book of Acts. That's all I'm going to say. God help us to be that way. Work smarter, not harder. Work with one another. Work together. Two are better than one when, you, when you're at work and when you're, when you're working for the Lord. Number two, two are better than one when you have fallen down. Verse 9 makes the point that two are better than one with the picture of a laborer in the field. But verse 10 to 12 makes this point with the picture of a traveler on the road. Specifically, verse 10 addresses a common threat that every person who stands and puts one foot in front of the other faces. You may fall down. You may fall down. You would think that Solomon would have written this as a definite reality in the language. He would have said, when they fall. Instead, he simply speaks of it as a possible scenario. If they fall. But his wording never does not diminish, does not bring down the gravity of the statement in any way that he's made. In fact, it makes the fact all the more difficult to avoid. You may, you may fall down. No matter how experienced you are at walking, you still may fall. Right? It's a fact. It's a truth. Not only that, no matter how skilled or experienced, skilled you are at walking, not just experienced, you still may fall. No matter how careful you are at walking, you still may fall. Last night after the supper, and by the way, it was a great night last night, and I remind you, every month, come out to those suppers every third, uh, Saturday of, third Saturday of the month. It was black ice last night, right? And you know what? Everyone was careful walking on. You're walking like, well, you know, because it was all black ice after that squall, whatever came. And you know what? Even if you walk carefully, you may fall because it was slick, right? That's how it is in life, in our spiritual journey as well. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul warns, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, the person who thinks he or she is exempt from falling is actually the leading candidate for a fall. James chapter 4, James writes this. He says, pride comes before the fall. You may fall in this journey and you're going to need someone to pick you up. Mark it down. You are prone to fall sometimes along life's journey. And note that verse 10 does not specify how one falls. He doesn't say you may fall if you're not careful how you walk or if you walk in the slippery places or an enemy pushes you down. The text simply says that a life long, along life's journey, you may fall. That is, you are not exempt from failures in life. All of us will fail at some time or another. And the news goes from bad to worse in this little verse here. You can fall so low or so hard that you cannot get up again on your own. This is not a picture of just a slip or a stumble. 
It is a picture of a total collapse. And the point is that there are some failures, sins, and errors in life that you cannot recover from on your own. Did you ever hear of the necessity when you go on a hike or you're kayaking or skiing, whatever you're doing, you always keep the buddy system in mind, don't you? Well, no one's saying, you don't use the buddy system? I mean, I always bring Sharon in case I fall. She can pick me up, man, you know? You always have someone with you. If something happens, I mean, you know what? I get it. The iPhone can call if it senses you fell or something. Apparently, they advertise, whatever, maybe. But I'd rather have a person, man. I'd rather have a person with me. Because not only can they call someone, they might be able to actually help me right there on the spot. Listen, don't be a fool. Don't go it alone when you hike. Go with somebody. Don't go mountain biking. Don't go skiing. Don't go scuba diving. Go with somebody. In fact, Jesus sent out his disciples on their missions. He sent them two by two all the time. Don't go alone. You're an idiot if you do that. You're setting yourself up for danger. Don't do it. Try to avoid that at all costs. If you can, right? Be careful. Go on a buddy system, all right? Again, verse 10 says, If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You cannot be determined. All right. I love you guys. Hope you love me. All right? Let me just say this. All right? Because, because we have to grow and mature in our faith. We're going to get to that in the next few weeks. But listen, you cannot, you cannot be determined to walk alone and expect everyone to come running to help you when you fall. I'm not saying like too bad, but I'm saying... You set yourself up. Really, I'm not being harsh or cold. Please take this and take it to heart. You can't do it alone. If there is going to be someone there to help you when you fall, you need to make sure you are walking with people you can trust before you fall. You need to cultivate friendships while you're on your feet. For two are better than one. When you have fallen down. And so we gather as one body on Sundays. And we do it in smaller groups throughout the week. And maybe you do it even in smaller with one-on-one. And that's praise God. Throughout the week, why? To encourage each other and to care for one another. And to pick each other up. Because I need picking up and a lot of us need picking up. Hebrews 3 says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or warn one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm good. I don't need anybody. I can go this. I don't want to bother anyone. I can make it on my own. I don't want to be a burden to somebody else. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens and, and, and walk the walk together. Two are better than one when you fall. Thirdly, two are better than one when you're in the cold. When you're in the cold. Many commentators, this is, I like this, because we've been to weddings, 
And you heard in a lot of weddings this classic scripture about the cord of three strands and one and two and all that. And that's great. It applies. It's all true. The principles work and it's all good. Right? And many commentators naturally apply this principle that two are better than one to marriage. And it works. And they are sure that this text is speaking of marriage when they read verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And to keep the text from suggesting something illicit. Commentators quickly conclude that this verse is about a married couple. But there is no reference here to a marriage. There is no reference to a marriage here. There are principles that apply, but there's no reference here and in this passage. And you don't need, I want you to know, you don't need to protect the Bible. Just let it speak for itself. Okay? God's word is powerful. And it will stand on its own and for itself. And again, this is the picture in keeping with the context. This is a picture of a traveler on a journey. Yes, marriage is a journey. It's mostly good. Sometimes, maybe not. But it's, you know, it's a journey, right? It's more difficult for wives than it is for husbands. But I, I just, you know, I get it. We, we're a pain. But anyway, so, so it's, it's a journey. And as, and as this traveler walks on the road, listen, follow me, night catches up with him. It's getting dark. It's getting close. And the path gets dark and cold. And finally, he has to find a place to bed down for the night, if you will. And he's, but he's too far from the nearest inn. Or maybe there is no room in the inn. Or maybe he might be in a desolate area where there are no homes to even offer hospitality, which, by the way, was very culturally relevant in that time. You find a place they took you in for the night. So he has to sleep in the elements. And it's, a, it's rough out there. Now, if we translate it to the spiritual and just our walk, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough world. It's, it's not easy, right? And yes, he might have a cloak or a tunic. But it's so cold that they're not enough to keep him warm throughout the night. And by the way, out in the, out in the desert, those desolate areas, it gets cold at night out there. Not just here. We visual, oh, it's like arid and it's desert and it gets cold at night. Did they get snow there, by the way, in that region, in the Middle East and in, in the Palestine? But it's so cold that they can't. And he finds himself in a situation where, where, frankly, the elements, the cold and everything puts his life at je- in jeopardy. Hypothermia sets in, and it's sneaky. And before you know it, you're in trouble. In the, picture of verse, in the picture of verse 10, it addresses the danger of falling. In verse 11, it addresses the danger of freezing. And the point of verse 11 is that life will sometimes leave you in the cold. Let me say it another way. Verse 9 says that you need fellowship to succeed in your work. Verse 10 says you need fellowship to stand Again, when you fall. And verse 11 says that you need fellowship to survive when you are in the cold. There are times when you'll be pushed out or pushed aside. You can be on the right road and still find yourself in a situation that is so severe that you cannot survive it on your own. Mark it down. You are not exempt from times of suffering, rejection, or disappointment. And it stinks. And you will need others who will warm you up when life leaves you in the cold. 
You will need the friendship. You'll need the support, the encouragement, the intercession, and the generosity of others to warm you up when life leaves you in the cold. No, this isn't about the marriage bed. This is about somebody who's there. And when you travel with somebody else, you take that blanket, you wrap it around you, you get as close as you can together, and you share body heat. And not in that illicit way. You just share body heat. You're there because you're trying to survive. And when you huddle together with somebody else on the journey, you're going to make it. You're going to survive the cold, dark nights in the spiritual journey. And there will be some in your life. We've all had them. You can't live in a life... You, let me just give you a warning. You can't live in a way that keeps everyone at arm's length. Demanding your space. Then expect people to rush to lie next to you when life leaves you in the cold. You need to develop and maintain intimate relationships of mutual trust when the sun is shining. And that way when life leaves you in the cold and it's dark, you have someone close enough to come lay beside you to keep you warm. Fourthly, and finally, two are better than one when you're in a fight. Always. Always. I'll take a partner. I'll take someone with me when there's a fight. I don't want to do it alone. It's so hard, even if it's one-on-one. Because, I mean, look at me. But you know what I mean. I want somebody to be with me in that fight, whether it's one person or whether it's a whole gang of people, if you will, all around me. I, I want somebody. The verse 12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Will withstand him. Two will withstand him. Why? Because two are better than one. Right? This statement confronts us with the fact that you might be, you may be, and maybe you are being attacked along life's journey. You might be the victim of personal attacks. Nah, we, don't, we never get that, do we? Maybe we're the ones attacking. God, help us. Help us to realize we're, not, we're a disservice, right? Some personal attacks come from people you don't even know. And, and in fact, people don't even... People don't even have to know you to not to like you, to not like you. Some people just don't like the way you look. Even worse, some personal attacks come from people you know really well. That is, there are times you are attacked by people who are supposed to be working with you and walking with you. And you will be attacked by people you thought were on your side. That happens sometimes in life. Moreover, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you will experience spiritual attacks. Ephesians 6 We're so familiar with the armor of God. But Paul writes in verse 11 and 12, he says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our common enemy, the devil, and all of his satanic forces are strategically working to undermine and to overthrow your commitment to Jesus Christ. 24-7. Every moment. In fact, he's doing it right here, right now. Believe it or not, he is. He is persistent and he will not 
led up until he's ultimately defeated. Even though he already is, he knows it until he's defeated for once and for all. And there will be times when your faith is attacked. And you will inevitably, inevitably discover that spiritual victory often requires fellowship with others as well as faith in God. You need both. Here's the truth. There are some attacks you cannot face on your own. Here's another truth. There are some enemies you cannot defeat on your own. How about this one? There are some added, uh, 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 battles you cannot fight on your own. There are some attitudes you cannot change on your own. There are some habits you cannot break on your own. There are some problems you cannot solve on your own. And there are some needs you cannot meet on your own. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Two are better than one when you're in a fight. Now, when you're alone and you're fighting somebody, I don't, there, there's a term for it, but anyway, when you have somebody has your backside, I mean, who's got your back? Who's got your back? We should all be saying, I got your back. There's a commercial on TV about something. It's kind of a sports commercial. Who's got your back? We should all be shouting, I got your back. You should all be yelling back at me, we got your back. I got your back. Who's got my back? Right? Thank you. And you know what? Because when we're battling, I'm glad it's 40% of you. And when, when we're battling, when we're battling and we're fighting spiritual warfare against the enemy and our back is exposed, if my brother and sister are behind me and around me and we link up, it's like I have eyes on the back of my head. And I'll take that every single day. I want eyes on the back of my head. Right, Preston? I want eyes on the back of my head. I want to see what's happening. I don't want to worry about what's happening behind me because it's like the, the, the Spirit of God is in my brothers and sisters and we've got it all covered and we're fighting and we see what's happening and we're aware and we can battle better and fend off all the attacks because two, three, four, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand are better than one. We've got to have each other's back. It's powerful. Two are better than one when you're fighting. Listen to the last line of verse 12. A, th a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Note the progression of the text. From two are better than one to three are even better than two. A single cord can hold up only so much. A double cord can sustain more weight. But a threefold cord can sustain three times or actually even more than a single cord. Do you ever wonder, I'm always blown away, when I go over the Newport Bridge or, you know, the old Tappan Zee Bridge or whatever, just suspension bridges, and you drive by and you realize, man, the thousands of tons of concrete and steel and all the trucks and the cars, and then there's traffic and you're standing there for like 20 minutes and you're on the middle of the, 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 the what's the, the top of the, the apex, whatever, the bridge, you're up at the top there and you're standing there, all the weight, all the pressure and attention, and you look over and you're like, there's a cable like this holding up this whole thing. Lord, don't let it fall down. They know what they're doing. It's science. It's physics. It's engineering. It's, all, it's beautiful. because it's, And it follows right in line with all that's going on and the principles that we should apply in our lives. If it's that one single cord, that cable has multiple strands in it. 
And the, and the multiplication of how much more weight it can handle multiplies not just times two or three every time you add one, but much more than that. And so when you look at this, this cable like this, it's got hundreds or dozens of smaller cables and they're all knit together and they're holding up this extraordinary amount of weight. Two are better than one and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is a statement about the power of faith in God as well. That is, if, if, if it's a powerful thing for two people to hook up with another person, how much more powerful is it if two people hook up with God? When we get together and then hook up with the Lord, there is no limit to the good things that can take place in us and through us. On the other hand, we will not be much help to one another when we hook up together without God. Relationships are important. People are important. Yes, you can get some things done better without the fuss and the time of people and their individual particularities. But in the end, you're saying a lot about what you believe and who you are by the way you associate with others. Some of us are, re- are, are people pe- persons, right? We love to interact. We're social butterflies and whatever. There's, there's plenty of those, right? Or some, anyway, there's some. And we're energized by others. And then there's others who are task-oriented. And, and there's other different personalities and how they're wired. And here's the thing. Relationships get very tedious. And relationships, yes, they're messy. We, in fact need each other no matter what our makeup is as individuals. If not for any other reason that we need each other and that we should gather and that we should remember that two are better than one, it is to eliminate a cancerous, independent spirit that I can go it alone because you know what? You can't. Not for long. Before I close with one last just kind of encouragement and challenge, I'm just blown away at how beautiful God's word is and how scripture is. And as I was studying this past couple weeks, we're reading from Ecclesiastes. And I just want to point this out for all of you you who are just really want to dig in and, and understand how beautiful the depth of this, the connection of this is. In the Greek, the word for the church or for the assembled ones, the called out ones, is ekklesia. Look at the word Ecclesiastes. Look at the word Ecclesiastes. You can do your research. You can verify what I'm saying. Even in the Hebrew word, kohaleth, I think is the word, kohaleth. And that word means, it's, and when you talk about, this is the preacher. The second word in the book of Ecclesiastes is this word, actually. And it's the preacher. It's the one who has gathered all this wisdom, and he gathers people that he would teach them this wisdom. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesia. There is this connection to gathering, and there's so much powerful, and there's so much power, and it's so many benefits, and we've only scratched the surface with what the wise man said here in chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. There's so much more. So as we go, let us hear, let us heed, and let us hold on really, really tightly to Solomon's words. Because let's say it together. Two are better than one. 
So if we do that, then we can enjoy the benefits of gathering of God's people all that much more. And we'll be able to experience the joy, the peace, the beauty of what it means to gather, which we'll talk about next time. God's awesome. His word is awesome. His work is awesome. And he's still working on us. And he works most powerfully, if I could put it that way, when we gather together and accept and live with the truth that two are better than one. Let's pray. Lord, I simply ask that you would take this truth, these words, and Father, you would take your word in Ecclesiastes, and that it would find root in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would seal this, and cause it to flourish and grow and water it, that there would be production and fruit in our lives, that we would not walk as individuals, but that we would walk with this in our minds, ringing, and it would be a mantra for us that two are better than one. Father, we commit ourselves to you and we look forward to walking this journey together with one another and with you. And we know that we'll make it to the end until we see you face to face one day. And then as we work for you, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servants. To you be all the glory. We love you, Jesus. Be with us as we go. Lord, we know you haven't left us, but Lord, we ask you to be with us and that we would submit to your presence and that we would be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Two are better than one.